It's the final curtain call for a Bloomington play that ran for a century. We're just a hundred years of this 2,000 year story. We're just a little drop in the bucket, as is all of our lives. You'll hear from American Passion Play cast member Nathan Bassett and others next on WGLT Sound Ideas. Good afternoon, I'm John Norton. Also on the show today, you'll hear about a new production of Cinderella at Community Players Theater. Plus, you'll learn how changes to state law are opening doors for some chefs and other small-scale food entrepreneurs. They think up of things that I would never have thought of, of coming up with. You'll get some advice from University of Illinois Extension educator Jenna Smith. Those stories follow a Bloomington Normal News update, which is coming up. This is WGLT Sound Ideas on 89.1 FM and WGLT.org, part of the NPR network. Support for WGLT comes from Bloomington Normal Audiology. Hear My Story continues with local patient Ryan Fuller and his mother Stephanie. I used to be under impression that I'd get made fun of and bullied, but I have not. People have actually like, oh, that's cool, you know? It's just something different, and I embrace that. Ryan and Stephanie's full story can be found at bnaudiology.com. From the campus of Illinois State University in Normal, this is WGLT's news magazine, Sound Ideas. I'm John Norton. We will lose an hour of sleep this weekend as we spring forward and move our clocks ahead one hour early Sunday. Studies have linked daylight saving time to depression, headaches, a slow metabolism, and weight gain. The health risks can be especially challenging for people who suffer from Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia, as we explore in this edition of Sound Health. Melissa Tucker is Director of Family Services for the Illinois Chapter of the Alzheimer's Association. She tells WGLT's Eric Stock how longer daylight is especially disruptive on Alzheimer's patients and their caregivers. There's a couple of things going on there. Um, we do know, as you said, that people with dementia often have trouble sleeping. They they tend to sleep during the day and be awake at night. We're not really sure what is specifically causing that, um, but there is a change in the circadian rhythms of, of people with dementia, and that can be really hard on the caregivers if they're being uh, kept awake at night. And any change in routine is also difficult for people with Alzheimer's disease. As people get out of those very early stages, it's hard to adjust a schedule. So if someone is suddenly getting up an hour early or, or asked to go to bed an hour early, that can be disruptive and confusing for the person with the diagnosis. So what does that lead to then? What are the the short-term and long-term risks of someone who is perhaps a little out of balance by that one hour? I think what we see is any cause in um, problems with the sleep is going to increase confusion in the person with dementia. Um, people who may already have a difficult time uh, being awake and active during the day or sleeping at night, that's going to be exacerbated by the change in schedule. Um, we recommend a lot of things to people to help with sleep disturbance. I'm always recommending, you know, having a structured scheduled day, um, a service like adult daycare can be good for this activities during the day that happen at the same time to just help keep people on that schedule. And when there's a sudden hour long shift in that schedule, that can make things harder. It might be harder to get the person up in the morning for adult day, and then they're not having that structured day, and then they're going to sleep during the day. And you might find that uh, it's even harder for them to get to sleep at night. So it's that shift in the schedule may be making um, some problems that are already there more uh, difficult to deal with. 
we often hear among the general population that those who are that when daylight savings time happens, there are greater greater numbers of car crashes and those kinds of things. When you're when you're talking about those who are dealing with the dementia, what is more likely to happen? Well, um, you know, hopefully by the pers- by the time that the, the person is uh, to the point where they're having these sleep disturbances, they're they're not driving anymore. So hopefully that isn't happening. But it might just become a more stressful caregiving situation for for the caregiver. Um, it is so hard on people to be caring for someone who is awake all night. You know, if that person is is maybe still working or has things to do during the day and they're not able to sleep because their parent or their spouse is awake at night, then um, the care partner, you know, is probably at, at risk. We know that um, not getting enough sleep is really bad for cognition, even in, in people that don't have a, a disease process like dementia. So it can impact the health of the caregiver. I, I definitely talk to many caregivers whose health is being negatively impacted by lo- loss of sleep. So you want want anything, you know, to make that worse for that person. Is gaining an hour the same as losing an hour? Is there any real difference in terms of disrupting sleep patterns? Well, I don't know any data about that, but it is a shift in in the time. You know, you the person with dementia isn't necessarily going to understand that now they need to um, go to bed early, or you know, they're not going to sleep in that extra hour, and and maybe uh, they're they're getting up. Um, and if, if a person with dementia is up and about at night, um, you know, you you have concerns that that person might try to wander, they might try to leave the house, or they might think they have to get up and, and uh, cook breakfast and leave the stove on, you know, because the care partner isn't awake. So all of those things uh, can be a concern with a, a disruption in the sleep schedule. And how significant of an impact does this have on their caregiver and how do they prepare themselves for the instability that could result from this? Not every person with dementia does have sleep disturbance or, or have uh, behavioral disturbances. And I do always you know, want to emphasize that. But if, if you are caring for someone that has a history of sleep disturbance, or if you notice, if you've noticed in the past, maybe with daylight savings time changes that uh, this has been a concern, one thing you can do is instead of just all of a sudden changing the clocks an hour, maybe just change them 10 minutes at a time. So you're not abruptly shifting that schedule. Um, the, the things that I recommend for people that are struggling with sleep are, are all those good sleep hygiene suggestions, which the caregiver would need to implement for the person with dementia. Having a regular schedule as, as much as possible, having activity during the day, getting natural lighting during the day, um, all of those things can be helpful for the person. That's Melissa Tucker from the Alzheimer's Association of Illinois with WGLT's Eric Stock. Tucker says if you're concerned about memory loss, the association has counselors available on its 24-hour helpline. That number, 1-800-272-3900. Support for WGLT health coverage comes from Carl Health. You can count on Carl as your partner in health care. Information at carl.org. This is Sound Ideas on WGLT. It's been about a decade since Illinois' home-to-market law went into effect, allowing food entrepreneurs and home cooks to sell their food or drinks to the public. Since then, interest in locally sourced food has only grown, and many stuck-at-home home chefs found or rekindled their passion for cooking during the pandemic. 
That's a recipe for more cottage food operations starting across Illinois. Jenna Smith is a nutrition and wellness educator with University of Illinois Extension based in Bloomington. She guides would-be food entrepreneurs and actually helps shape some recent changes to Illinois' home-to-market law. In this interview with WGLT's Ryan Denham, Smith explains what's changed and why. The main change was really more about where you can sell. And so it used to be that you could only sell through farmers' markets. Um, That has now been opened to more than just farmers' markets. So now cottage food entrepreneurs could actually sell um, you know, at fairs or festivals, even a roadside stand. They can sell, of course, you know, in their own homes as well and can sell directly to consumer through online as well. And they could deliver it to them or they could arrange for pickup. They could even ship it to them as long as it's within the Illinois state lines. What's been the response to that change in particular? Are you hearing from folks who who have used it to expand to to new places and sell in new places? Absolutely. You know, I think everything right now is online, online. And so that's really huge to be able to just kind of open it up to so, so many more consumers. You know, Um, not everybody goes to the farmer's market. So I think just having kind of more opportunities to be able to sell uh, certainly helps the cottage food entrepreneur, uh, but also helps for the consumer to be able to really, you know, have choices and options. Has there been a recent change to, to, this is specific, but buttercream icing. Buttercream <laughs> icing being prohibited or not prohibited? It is specific, and it's specific because there are so many people that, you know, want to, you know, have their buttercream icing on their cupcakes or whatever it might be. And so, yes, that was a new change to the law because um, before it was considered to be dairy, and it was considered in that realm of, nope, you can't have dairy. And so now we've uh, amended that law to where, yes, buttercream is allowed because, you know, for most part, part uh, it's shelf stable. And so that has allowed a lot of those cottage food entrepreneurs who are just like, yeah, I really want to sell my, my cupcakes with these buttercream icing. Now they can do that. Well, Jenna, you're a food nutrition educator with uh, University of Illinois Extension. What are some of the, the questions you get most frequently from folks who are either cottage food entrepreneurs or they are thinking about becoming one? Well, I get two questions. Number one is usually, can I sell this? And so a lot of questions on, you know, what can I sell or what can't I sell? So that's a huge, huge question. Um, There is a list of prohibited items within the law. These are the kind of more higher risk items that you cannot sell through cottage food. So these would be things like your meats, for instance, you know, no dairy unless it's within, you know, baked goods, Um, no low acid canned food. So you can't can green beans or can corn just because there's a higher risk uh, for those items. And so that's really just a lot of the kind of questions. I'm always just amazed, honestly, by just the creativity of a lot of the entrepreneurs that are out there. Um, They think up of things that I would never have thought of of coming up with. So I think the other day I got uh, the question, you know, can I can I sell uh, hot fudge? And thought about that. But no, that was a, unfortunately, I had to say no on that one just because of the dairy component on that one. Um, so there's a little bit of safety risks. Uh, the second question that I normally always get is, what do I do to become a cottage food producer? Like, what's what's my first step? 
Uh, and so I always tell people for the first step, that's getting familiar with the law. That's just really important. So, you know, get familiar with the law. Of course, with extension, we have a lot of resources to help you to do that. So going to our website, um, which is at go.illinois.edu slash cottage food, that'll get you there. We have tons of resources on that website. We also have an online course as well to help uh, people kind of, you know, gather the information that they need uh, to know what to do and know about the law. That's Jenna Smith, a nutrition and wellness educator with University of Illinois Extension based in Bloomington. She spoke with WGLT's Ryan Denham. Sound ideas, stories, and conversations around Bloomington Normal and McLean County. I'm John Norton. The American Passion Play has been running in Bloomington longer than anywhere else in the country, 100 years to be exact. The Easter tradition ends this spring with the production's final shows in the theater built to support it. In this conversation with WGLT's Lauren Warnicke, cast members reflect on the history of the play and their own decades-long involvement. It was around 1915 that Delmer Dara began envisioning an American passion play in the city of Bloomington. He had the idea to communicate uh, the story of Jesus. It would be good to have a play. That's Bob Tresker, who plays Judas in the American Passion play running for the next four Saturdays at the Bloomington Center for the Performing Arts. This was before mass media, of course. The first commercial radio broadcast would not take place for another five years. Unique to Dara's vision was the inclusion of Jesus's ministry. Another remarkable point. Dara, a professor of elocution and public speaking at Illinois Wesleyan University, was a noted Freemason who designed the Scottish Rite Temple specifically for dual purposes. What's now the Bloomington Center for the Performing Arts doubled as both the the place where uh, uh, the Passion Play was to be put on. It was designed specifically, (laughs) the theater portion of that building was designed specifically to, to house the play as well as then the rest of the building to be able to support uh, the Masonic community in, in Bloomington Normal. Two years after the Scottish Rite Temple was built, Dara's American Passion Play premiered. While it has been altered and updated over the years, Bloomington's original Passion Play remains the longest running of its kind in the United States. And now it's coming to an end. Nathan Bassett has spent the better portion of his life in the cast. I actually started around 1975. Oh my, so you did not play Jesus in 1975. I did not. No. I did not. Um, (laughs) But I was out for a few years and I I came back and I, and my last half has been, uh, I think about 20 years, give or take. You lose track. Yeah. That's a really long time to be continually involved in a single production. So Mm -hmm. what has kept you coming back year after year? Uh, two things, the story, the ability just to tell the story. I find there's a lot of passion in telling the story, it just not just the theatrical production of it, but just the story itself. And in this means being able to share that story. So that's one reason. The other reason I would say is the family. This is the hundredth season. From what I understand, everything ran consecutively until 2020. What went into the decision to come back? So that wasn't actually a hard decision to come back. Um, many of us missed 
the play those two years that I, as I say, the world shut it's down. Kind of built into the routine of your life, yeah. right? Oh, very much so, very much so. And so you just kind of get used to okay, February opening dinner and practices, and then the performance season. So it was very, very strange, but. There was a question whether there would be enough cast members returning, and so multiple phone calls went out saying, are you returning and returning? And and we did have enough cast uh, coming back after uh, the pandemic, and uh, and so we put on the play. So was the decision to come back around reaching that milestone? Did you have in mind at that point that it would be the last season? Uh, in all honesty and in all candor. Bob Trefsker. Over the last, let's just say, 20 years in particular, uh, we've seen a, a fairly steady drop-off of um, people coming uh, to the play. Uh, we, we've known that financially it's been difficult, and really during the years of the pandemic, uh, if it weren't for some sort of be behind-the-scenes fundraising that was happening, we probably wouldn't have been able to reopen uh, regardless of whether we had the cast. I think we've all had some time to kind of process through what this might look like without it. Nathan Bassett again. You know, we're just a hundred years of this 2000 year story. We're just a little drop in the bucket as is all of our lives. We're just a drop in the bucket of the whole span of humanity. Trefsker joined the cast of Bloomington's American Passion Play in 1965. It was also where he met his wife of 49 years. Trefsker says the play has served a pivotal role in his life, but it isn't his whole life. We're passing the baton now. This ministry has had its beginning and its end. Nevertheless, when people see the play this year, we also hope they will take this additional message that they are to go as well as us and make disciples of all nations. The final 100th season of the American Passion Play runs Saturdays beginning this week through April 1st at the Bloomington Center for the Performing Arts. I'm Lauren Warnicky. Tickets for the American Passion Play are $25, available at AmericanPassionPlay.org. Support for arts and culture programming on WGLT comes from PNC Financial Services. We're focusing on giving back as part of an ongoing commitment to the community PNC serves. Well, let's bring WGLT's Lauren Warnicky back for the final story on Sound Ideas today. It's about Cinderella, which is opening at Community Players Theater tonight. The popular family-friendly musical runs for three weekends in Bloomington. Jessa Hendricker joined Community Players in 2017. As Cinderella's director, Hendricker tells Lauren Warnicky this is her biggest role yet. This is my second time directing. I directed Miss Cass Cabaret back in 2021, and then this is my first time directing here doing a full-blown musical. So how has it been taking that on? Um, it has been a very healing experience, to say the least. I, I did a little bit of directing in college and undergrad, but coming back and doing it with like such a fantastic team and a fantastic cast has been a really cool experience overall. I know that you are also very involved with dance and have choreographed several productions here. Are you working with a choreographer or are you taking that on as well? I am working with a choreographer. Her name is Kylie Maurer. Trying to do this show, directing and choreographing all at once, I could not have done it. At one point I wanted to, but there's just so much happening that's going on. But I still love dance and it's fun to be able to look at 
like the stage as a whole and how sets and people moving can also be just like a dance and choreography. I went down a bit of a rabbit hole just looking at (laughs) Cinderella, right? Um, You know, of course, we've got the Rodgers and Hammerstein version, which you're working with here. 1957, Julie Andrews, CBS, right, is really putting this story in American living rooms, but it's as close as I can find to a timeless story, you know, that actually goes back to like ancient times. So what really draws you to this story? Well, I've always grown up loving princesses and Disney. That's a very big tenet of my childhood. And what really got me into wanting to do theater and, you know, playing pretend. It's always nice getting to step outside of the world that we're living in, but to step into something new, but also drawing realizations to how does this connect with us and like what does it have that impact today? And I think the story is very timeless and going back to that kindness and sometimes just a little bit of dreaming can take us a long way. Um, This version in particular um, was recently on Broadway in 2013 and has revamped the script. We have a couple new characters and lots of uh, new out there. We're still getting that timeless story that we love, but I think what really drew me to this is knowing that we tried not to cast it traditionally. We tried to cast it with people you could see every day so that every person could have someone, hopefully, that they could see on stage. Can you provide us with some specific examples about how you modernized the casting or increased representation in the production? I think I was just constantly looking at, again, like the talent pool that we have. Like there's such an incredible amount of talent in Bloomington Normal that one, you know, just hasn't been tapped into. And just trying to have new opportunities for people who maybe haven't led before, um, opportunities for people of different ages and backgrounds. Um, we have ages 14 up through like late 60s on stage. So, you know, trying to get as many people involved as possible. Absolutely. When we think about these fairy tales and so many of them coming from the Brothers Grimm lexicon, there is this you know, Eurocentric white bent to a lot of these things. And I know Community Players has made a big effort, especially in the past couple of years, to really change that. So I I don't know if there's a question here, but it does seem smart because this is a story that the OG Community Players audience is going to lean into, but also will bring new folks maybe to the theater as well. So can you just say a little more about that? I think just trying to get, like, like we said earlier, like those that it's a story that is timeless that, you know, people who grew up with the story, it's a part of their lives. And we have a whole new generation of people that maybe this story will be the first time it's told in this way. Um, knowing that we can tap into and continue to tell stories from different perspectives and understand that one's perspective of a character might be changed or different because of the actor playing that role as well. It's really important to understand and to provide those avenues um, for those stories to be told. Cinderella runs through March 26th at Community Players Theater in Bloomington. And that's Sound Ideas today. WGLT's news magazine is made possible in part by Bloomington Normal Audiology. I'm John Norton with story help today from WGLT's Lauren Warnicke twice, Eric Stock, and Ryan Denham. The show produced by Samantha Hill. This is 89.1 FM, WGLT, and WGLT.org, Bloomington Normal's public media, part of the NPR network. Thank you.